Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John Licton. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Asa for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now on to the episode. Over to you, Dan. Hi, John. Uh, welcome to the podcast, John. Uh, how are you doing? Good. Happy New Year's. And New Year's. Uh, this is kind of a, a quick special edition because there's so much traffic on what, Dan? On, well, we're talking about artificial intelligence and education. It's, um, you know, it's interesting. It's been a huge story, I think, in our circles. But then it's, what surprises me is quite often I talk to regular friends who are not involved in tech in any way, and they, they don't know much about it. It's strange how this story, it, it's a big story for certain people, but, but not for everyone. But I, I think we all agree it's going to be huge. I think the chat GPT-3 really uh, resonated with a lot of educators because there are so many things about that uh, ecosystem that kids and students can leverage, which really bring new challenges, but also new opportunities, creative opportunities for educators. So I think it's just going to be great. Uh, We have three guests here, uh, Warren, who is in Tokyo, and I'm sure many of our listeners are very familiar with all his work and what he's doing. Greg out of uh, New Delhi and uh, IT director and also has been doing a fantastic job creating this community called AI in Education. And that's been really dynamic and a lot of interesting things happening there. And Wolfgang, who's based out of Geneva and also has been very active with the group. So, so Dan, very, over to you. Yeah, very international group. So we've got two people in um, Switzerland. I'm, I'm currently in Austria. We've got uh, Warren in... Uh, Japan, and we've got Greg in India, so it's, it's a really good one. But guys, before we start, you know what I thought would be a really good way to kick this off is uh, we're talking about ChatGPT, and we're, we're going to explain what that is in a minute, but uh, it's, it's something that's recently been released. And to kick off it off, I went to ChatGPT just now, and I asked this question. I said, I'm hosting a podcast together with four educators to discuss the use of OpenAI and ChatGPT in education. What are some topics we could discuss? And this is the answer I got immediately. There are many interesting topics related to the use of OpenAI and ChatGPT in education. Here are some ideas. Number one, the use of language models like GPT to generate personalized study materials and access student progress. Number two, the potential of GPT to assist with grading and feedback on written assignments. Number three, the use of GPT to generate authentic sounding conversation in language learning exercises. Number four, the ethics of using AI in education, including issues of bias and the potential impacts on employment. Number five, the role of AI in enabling personalized learning and adapting to the needs of individual students. And it keeps going. I'll I'll do number six and then I'll stop. But number six, the potential of using GPT to assist with research tasks, such as summarizing and synthesizing information. So just to give you an overview, if you haven't used it yet, just it's interesting how powerful it is. Just a simple question like that gives you a lot of really interesting topic straight off the bat. Greg, you had, Greg, please, you had something to share. Well, first, I just wanted to say thank you for inviting me. And second, um, you had noted that I am in New Delhi. I was in New Delhi previous to where I am now. I'm in uh, Chennai now, but I just wanted to clear that part up. Uh, But I also wanted to say that's a pretty good list of topics to to address when when we're talking about um, artificial intelligence. And I think um, the first thing we should do is frame 
artificial intelligence in its context. Um, it's an it's an emerging technology, and everyone feels like it's very new. Um, but on the other hand, as technologists, we all know um, there's very little new under the sun. And you could think of ChatGPT as something that is a continuation of of everything that's gone before. So uh, Google search, for example, or any number of personalized learning technologies that have been around for decades. Uh, so I think it's an interesting framework for trying to figure out what we're dealing with. Are we dealing with something brand new or are we dealing with something uh, that's sort of a continuation of, of what's been before? I wonder what you Def think. I, I think definitely to, to kick off, I think before we go too far, there might be some people who don't know what we're talking about. Could anyone just give us a quick overview of what is OpenAI and ChatGPT at a very, very high level? They want to jump in? I'm putting Warren on the spot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll get the details wrong if I try to wing it. So, yeah, I mean, very, very simply, I mean, Open uh, Chat GPT is a website. It looks very much like Google. It's a, it's it's in beta now. You can register it. Uh, you have a search box, and it's it's very much a chat format. You can ask it uh, a question, uh, and like I, the example I gave in the beginning, you ask a question, it gives you an answer. Uh, you know, I'm using it for a lot of things I used to Google, which is amazing, you know, especially someone like me who's deep in the Google world. So that, that's how you would, uh, what is ChatGPT? And ChatGPT is part of OpenAI. OpenAI is the organization um, that, that created ChatGPT and they've got a bunch of other applications. But the first one that's really being widely released and got reaction, that got traction is, uh, is ChatGPT. So anyone else want to add anything to that? I just want to add that the architecture or uh, ChatGPT is based on a thing called foundation model, which is basically a deep learning algorithm. And it has kind of pre-trained with extremely large data sets that are taken from the public internet. So it's almost, it's basically, it's, it, it, it's like a, a, an autocomplete on steroids in the sense mm. that it is given certain parameters and then it cross-references and predicts what the uh, answer should be. But it's extremely powerful. It works on deep learning, so neural networks. And I think these foundation models, what's really interesting is they can scale at such large uh, sizes and they're trained on broad data, usually uh, through self-supervision. And what can happen is they can be adapted to wide range of other applications. So I think that's kind of on the very technical side. Do go to our show notes. Everybody has put in a lot of great information. So that's also a point of reference. Wolfgang. Yeah, uh, um, I think it was Warren in, in, in a conversation uh, quite a while ago who, who pointed out that... Um, at the moment, the, the version three is about 175 uh, billion parameters, I believe. I, I can't remember if you posted that, Warren, in, in a conversation we had earlier or not. But um, but it was in reference to what G, uh, ChatGPT 4.04 uh, would look like in terms of actually being close to the capacity in terms of parameters of a human brain. Um, and, and the quite interesting fact being that they've purposely stayed away from being linked directly to the internet so that the conversation about bias um, and what that could bring actually stays out of a lot of the criticism or potential flaws that this could bring, which I find quite interesting that it's, it's, it's really more or less, a, if I understood it correctly, an offline um, database and parameters um, based on facts rather than just people's opinions. 
Greg? Well, I think, I mean, I don't know if that, uh, I think the, the question of bias is still pretty, pretty relevant um, because the, the data set does include um, so many biased pieces of writing. I mean, uh, it's essentially a mirror of, of our textual or digital textual society up until 2021, right? Um, you're right that it's not designed, I think, in its current form to be linked directly to the internet. Although even just in the past few days, I've read about Microsoft, which is a huge investor in OpenAI, developing a, a Bing uh, integration with with these, with yeah. these models. So you can you can imagine that even, I mean, I'm looking at my watch, it's like, Where's the next AI breakthrough? It's been three days, right? So, uh, in, in in a week, in a week, we're going to see an internet connected um, version, and you can even you can even have I've I've got a Chrome extension yeah. installed that that brings up a ChatGPT uh, uh, response right next to my Google responses. So it, it's um, interesting with with the Microsoft thing you mentioned because I've I've heard from people in Google that there's a massive crisis team in Google now working on how can we is this going to uh, kill our search business you know it's it's a huge thing in google i know it's like a top 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 priority from the top down and, there, and there's tons of people because google's been working on on uh, artificial intelligence solutions for a long time as well they just obviously got they've got beaten beaten there on this and warren, warren i actually i wonder how you react to this because i so warren and i worked together in new delhi and he was the director of technology there when i was teaching um i was teaching high school english there and i distinctly remember warren standing in front of the faculty and you were talking about um you were talking about like vo voice enabled um google searches essentially mm -hmm. like how easy it is to access information and this was i think probably 10 years ago and i remember your optimism i remember your sort of uh your optimism about the idea that these are enhancements rather than threats to the educational setting and i'm just curious if you feel the same way now about this yeah, I'm glad you remembered that. That was that was a uh, that was fun. Um, that was right when the iPhone was was new, right? And and so and and also voice search was new. And so the the point I was making in this faculty meeting was that uh, it won't be long before people have smartphones in their pockets that can access content, right? So if the job of a teacher used to be to fill the minds of the kids with content, that they really need to shift. And, and it was kind of, that was back when the 21st century skills were a new thing, um, that collaboration and creativity were, were neat ideas, but they weren't the purpose of school at that point. And, and that was kind of what I was saying then was, you know, um, not everybody back then had a phone in their pocket, but we could kind of see that coming. This is just a tool, but it's a tool that's going to make a whole lot of, of education, um, I don't want to call it redundant, but like open up opportunities for us to do more interesting things. Uh, let us focus on teaching kids what really matters instead of teaching them, you know, key dates in history. And um, yeah, and I do, I am still optimistic. On it. I still think the same thing. Uh, I think this is a, an amazing tool and it's really, it's really going to be cool. It's going to change a whole lot. It's going to change um, what what careers are our students going to? It's going to change the way that university functions. Uh, it's going to change the way that we um, we assign and assess um, understanding and and writing ability. But I think it's all for the better. And um, and I don't think that we're going to end up, you know, ten years from now wishing that we didn't have 
uh, AI helpers the way that we are going to. So I'm excited about it. One thing that I know has been uh, very prominent throughout, uh, you know, social media, and we attended uh, Wolfgang and I, the National Independent Schools uh, session on Friday. And there is this two camps. One, like you, Warren, they're very excited, see it as a positive, as a value added proposition that's really going to give us an opportunity to be different, to uh, be creative, think out of the box, really look at education as a different type of proposition. And then there's the whole other side that's saying, this is a disaster, I'm gonna be out of a job. Uh, the certain school districts are now shutting it out. So there are these two reactions. There's one which is somewhat, I would say more panicky and see it as a huge negative and kind of a disruptor in a negative sense. But there is also this other uh, perspective where this disruption is really positive because it's going to force us to rethink the way we deliver learning. I'd be curious to hear from our three guests where they stand on that and what are some maybe ways we can support faculty. Warren. Yeah, I think the, um, the thing to remember is this is this typical disruption cycle that happens in education. And it's happened plenty of times, right? This is the same conversation we had about calculators in math class. And it's the same thing about spell check. And um, the difference is that it happened so fast, right? Like when math teachers first encountered calculators in the classroom, they had a long time between kids, between the technology existing and kids being able to afford them and then them bringing them in and then being able to use them on standardized tests like that there was enough time to adopt, adapt to that change. And, and ChatGPT, it kind of, you know, tech people saw the beta version of it six months ago, but then right before winter break, it just launched to the public. And then there were essays in the Atlantic and the New York Times and everybody was talking. It went, it went from something we hadn't heard about to something that we had accounts on over the weekend. And that's that just kind of thing just doesn't normally happen. So it makes sense that some schools would think that the that they need to block it. That's such the wrong solution, right? Like there's not only is it um, is it bad pedagogy to think about trying to block an interesting new new technology, but also it's not it's not practical. Kids who have 5G phones can access it regardless of what you do on your network. And and <laughs> You block chat GPT, that's just the first of several AI-assisted writing bots, right? You can't block them all. It's a cat and mouse game that, that schools just can't win. So I, I empathize, but still uh, reacting like that is, is just the, is the wrong solution. Thank I, you. I, I agree with everything you said, Ron. I think the interesting thing is it's, it's a much bigger thing. Like if you look society, on a societal level, not just in education, every time you get these kind of breakthroughs, there's huge uh, resistance and it never usually works you know but like if you look i was actually reading recently about the luddites which were now it's just used as an insult for somebody who's not techie but it was actually a group of people when the industrial revolution happened in britain who were textile workers and artisans who were all ended up out of a job you know because of the, of the machinery and um there's always resistance and, and i think that the, the reality is i think someone mentioned earlier about jobs going away there's a lot of a lot of jobs, a lot of white collar, maybe lower level jobs are going to go away because of this, you know, not, not this situation, but future ones. But, you know, like always happens, humans are very ingenious and very um, find ways around things. And there'll be new, a lot of new jobs that are created because of it. But um, I think, you know, people are objective, not just in education, like on, on a bigger level, but 
you know, it's probably, if you, if you look at previous cycles of innovation, it, it usually ends up being futile. doesn't mean we shouldn't try to make rules and frameworks around it, but it's, you know, it, it's, you can't, once the cat's out of a bag, it's, it's tough to, to put it back in again. Wolfgang. Yeah, no, just to piggyback off that is, is, is that conversation about, you know, we're still talking at schools or we're going to talk as, as we come back from winter break about how we're going to integrate this into our curriculum, whereas companies have already started using it to replace yeah. some of the menial jobs or uh, not necessarily people's jobs or full-time positions, but actually certain parts of their jobs. So I know, I know of two instances where uh, people directly working in coding or, you know, game design have already started using it um, a, a couple of months ago when it, when it came out to, yeah. to great success. And, and uh, in, in, one quote that was given to me is in game design, when you, for, for bulk of the code, dirty and, and messy doesn't really actually matter. So it doesn't matter as long as it works uh, for, for a lot of the, the, the program or the programming within game design. So I think um, as we come back on Monday, tomorrow, and, and, and I have a meeting with secondary staff on, on Tuesday, the conversation really has to be about not the, the, the initial self-preservation, we're going to go offline and assess differently or really old-fashioned again so that we, we kind of counter this movement is really looking at how we can use it in a positive way, like Warren said. Um, I, I think that's, that's the most important and key point right now. I think the critical piece, and thank you both Warren and Wolfgang, is that we, in the roles that we have as technology uh, folks and digital learning folks, is to ensure that we provide the information and that teachers understand what it is and what it isn't. Because I think a lot of people are jumping to conclusions or are getting a little uh, worked up. And I think that's where schools really have to take the time to really unpack that and look at the opportunities and really have a balanced approach. I think, you know, we heard even of one school where now they've switched to everybody handwriting their essays and everything is now handwritten. Uh, as a reaction to that. But that's a very short-term reaction, as you said, uh, uh, Warren. And I, so I think we also, as educators and school leaders, have to take the time to inform ourselves. There's very rich professional learning network opportunities. Greg, you've been very much involved in ensuring there's a lot of conversation. And I think that's where we can leverage that and then together take the advantage of all these great educators and say, how can we be creative? How can we leverage this? How can we make this something uh, positive? So for me, that's, I think, a big task ahead as schools start unpacking this is providing the, the conversations and the platforms to really understand what that is and how this can help us. Any other thoughts, Greg? Yeah, I'd add um, that my sympathies also lie with the people who are blocking GPT because like the internet itself, um, I mean, we have, we have ways of making sure that we create safe spaces for our, for our kids to learn effectively with the internet. Um, and sometimes that involves filtering or blocking certain portions of the internet, um, which is, which is, it's it's basic it's basic to what we do as as technology um educators but the same thing is not true of gpt right now there are no safety there there are no real safeguards in in the ai space right now so i think um that's something i'm going to keep my eye on i think uh you know uh it's it's very simple um to get the artificial intelligent 
uh, bot to generate harmful content. And I think um, it's one thing that we need more development on. We need probably to raise our voices to the AI development world and say, you know, <laughs> this is a requirement. You know, if we want this to be adopted, if we want this to be a part of our of our learning environments, we have to make them safe. Um, on the flip side, you know, I think there's also two groups of of education professionals. Let's let's call them that. One group uh, is is not as free. It's not as um, I don't know how to put it, except that there are much more conservative institutions in education at large that won't be able to adapt as quickly as, say, a small independent school that doesn't have a national curriculum to worry about, that doesn't have, you know, uh, whatever, whatever sort of impositions from above. Um, you can imagine international educators feeling much more free in general. I don't know. I don't know the, the whole landscape, but I think, you know, independent schools abroad, we tend to have a lot of freedom in how we approach our pedagogy, how we approach curriculum. And so we have an opportunity, I suppose, to be leaders in this space because we are not beholden. And a lot of independent schools in the States are probably the same way. I, that said, I think it's probably, uh, it's going to create kind of two, two camps. Again, the haves and the haves nots. We have opportunities, I think, as, uh, as small independent schools um, that larger National curriculum schools may not. So that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Well, I, I just wanted, to, yeah, I just wanted to throw in I, again. I think Warren, that was you when when Greg, you and I met about the, the the concept of actually independent schools probably having to move on this much quicker because why would you pay X amount of money to send your kid to a private school when you've got the world's most powerful tutor at hand? Um, so, so I think that's something uh, we as independent schools um, have to figure out quite quickly. Everybody has to deal with that. Yeah. Wolfgang, yeah. everybody. I think the threat that a lot of people are feeling but aren't articulating is that this is shining a very strong light on what it is that school does. Yeah. And some people aren't ready to answer that question as clearly as they need to be. And yeah. that's, that's uncomfortable. I think, uh, Greg, those are some great points. And I think it's very important for us to understand this landscape. And if you're uh, an exam driven where there's AP, IB or whatever, the uh, national curriculums that are very content driven and, and the, the, the assessment is based on what you know, that becomes a real challenge for teachers because that is what they have to deliver. That's the structure, that's the flow that they're in. Yeah. And there's very little flexibility. So there is also some significant structural reflections that need to occur on a large scale is what is the role of assessment and these universities. The other point that you bring up that I think is really important is the ethics. And, you know, so often we forget the importance of digital ethics and how, what are we doing to coach and engage and really unpack that with our learners in our communities? What are the ethics of these tools and how can we really understand the pluses and the minuses and ensure that our students understand that and can intrinsically take it in so they have some important points of reference as they navigate on their own on these two topics. So thank you very much, uh, Greg, for those perspectives. I, I think, you know, the, the, as you said, independent schools and international schools, there is that flexibility there. We're not as tied down. Do you feel that from what you've been reading and seeing that this is something that 
we talked about the accelerated change that has occurred. And, and Warren, you were talking about it was, you know, uh, something that was more tech and then suddenly uh, there are articles in the Atlantic and the New Yorker and suddenly it's gone viral uh, for a better word. How much faster is this going to go or is this the initial kind of, wow, and now we're go the dust is going to settle? Warren. I think, so we've already heard rumors from people who have seen version four and the people who have seen version four are blown away by it. And that's in comparison to they've already seen version 3.5. And we all know that version 3.5 blows us away. So I can't even imagine how much better the next version is. Yeah. But these are exponential times. The next version is going to be fast. And, you know, people like to point out the flaws. This is like the just GPT 3.5. It's an amazing technology. And yes, you can make it, you know, create a factual error or or uh, a source that isn't exactly cited correctly or, or whatever the small uh, quibbles are with it. But I think those are going to be addressed very soon. Right. So I I I, I have to imagine that an inter Internet integrated GPT search type tool is right on the horizon and a citation engine is is not far behind. Um, and then I also think. I, well, we know that there are already uh, tools that have already launched, but then they're going to keep getting better. But ChatGPT by itself is is really just a text box. It's not a writing assistant. But some of these tools by Notion um, and uh, some of these other writing tools, like it's a word processor that also has a GPT built almost like the way Grammarly is built into Google Docs. Yeah. So when Google Docs integrates DeepMind's AI into the Google Doc writing experience, that's going to be amazing, too. So I just I think we're going to be in there's just going to be something amazing every couple of weeks for the foreseeable future. But but even if you just take the change with Grammarly, I mean, I use Grammarly. I'm an addict of Grammarly. It's absolutely changed all my writing. And, and they're starting to use some basic AI. In that, you know, and if you think what, like you said, the next version is coming um you know, like like to actually modify to actually improve your writing. I think it's going to be amazing. Well, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm uh, just to jump in on that. I mean, I just met with with somebody who who's in charge of a marketing for a winery in, in New Hampshire, and he's severely dyslexic, and so a lot of his writing has been average at best. And and suddenly he's he's been opened up to a, a brand new world where you know the reading part isn't isn't as much as a problem for him as the writing, and the writing is 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 being done for him in a very creative way because he's creative enough to input the right things. That's right. Yeah. That's one of the, the ways I, I talked to a teacher recently who, who noted that his son, like your friend um, has learning challenges and in particular around um, processing language and writing and things like that. And so, you know, he foresees this future for his son where he's going to have all these difficulties in the world where we privilege strong writing, strong communication skills. His son doesn't have these, but, you know, GPT can be sort of like a digital prosthetic for communication skills, essentially, just like we have all sorts of assistive technologies for other forms of disability. This, um, this could be seen as that as well. I think blocking it and making everyone handwrite, I have seen disability rights activists point out that this is a problem. This is going backward. 
there are a lot of mm. learners who who don't function as well with a with a pen in hand as they do in a keyboard. So I think it's 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 very complicated. It keeps going back and forth. We have to keep all of these different variables in mind. But uh, but I agree with um, with what Warren and Wolfgang are saying. What do you think? So we have uh, schools that are starting in different. Um, we're talking about the international school context, and uh, a lot of you know, Wolfgang, you're having a meeting with your staff. You're, you're going to be meeting with leadership teams. And we have a lot of school leaders that listen to our podcast. What are some guidances or what are some things you think they should be thinking about as they engage with these conversations? What are some tips or some reflections that you have from your own personal experiences over the last few days as you've been reading and interacting with different people in your professional learning networks? I mean, one one thing that 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 I'll jump off on, sorry, Greg, uh, is just that I mean, we've we've touched upon it already. Is just the the notion between um, assessing or teaching towards understanding versus knowledge, and and the fact that a lot of it has been for knowledge um, and filling people's mind or students' minds with knowledge, and then assessing this because it's the easiest or has been the easiest to do. Um, whereas now um, things like quoting Warren again earlier um, about you know teaching towards creativity and and problem solving and and genuine understanding and and setting up assessments and assignments to to really elicit that that's going to be a major shift for for administrators to administer in their schools um you know a lot of curriculum folk will have to look at this and work with teachers and departments to to reassess how they're assessing um it's going to and and they have to do it fast um you know before before christmas i met with with a um, computer science department, they were the first to to actually acknowledge, hold on, the way we've been asking students to write code and then answer questions about it is done within a couple of milliseconds. Yeah. Um, so there's no way that they can assess in the same way. So they actually spent Christmas, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised coming back tomorrow and talking to the head of computer science to find out that they've actually rewritten their assignments already. Greg? I would add something like um, this two things. One, administrators need to know what it is by using it. I think a lot of fear is stoked um, when they have just a tiny bit of information or they, they read an, an article in the Atlantic called the end of high school English or something. So, uh, you know, these sort of apocalyptic um, visions of the end of education, they should use it. In fact, the administrators I've pushed to experiment with it have loved it. They, they made it, um, you know, sort of a bookmark on their on their browser so that they can brainstorm new ideas and, um, you know, generate topics for discussion, just like Dan did right at the, the beginning of this podcast. So uh, um, experimentation and knowledge is important, but also this should be a conversation we're having at the level of digital citizenship. So, you know, we think about plagiarism as a sort of key conversation we have with students, uh, but this is an entirely different form of um, <laughs> of interaction with with new text because it's not technically plagiarized in the way that we understood it prior to this moment, right? Turnitin.com, for example, won't recognize generated text as plagiarized because it's not copied from anywhere else. So, having a discussion about these ethics with students and understanding how to fit it into their own learning work workflows and um, things like that—that's a really important piece that I think needs to happen sooner rather than later. Students are already experimenting with it. They're already testing the limits as they do. 
they're submitting essays generated by this um, and they need to know what they're doing, I think. Thank you, Greg. Warren, what are you thinking for your faculty and also uh, your leadership team? Yeah, um, I had a meeting with high school teachers before the break um, and uh, to kind of just see what their thoughts were. And a lot of them had already been using GPT with their students. Um, so it was really, it was interesting. Uh, it, yeah, it went fast, right? It went from like, I heard about this. I sent out an invitation. Let's have a, let's have a lunch meeting. And by the time they showed up, they had already used it with their kids. So this is, this is a, a fast process. And then, um, uh, Tuesday this week, day after tomorrow, uh, our leadership team is going to have a meeting about it. And I think a big part, I think like what Greg, what you were saying, it, it's, it's reframing what academic honesty is in the age of AI, like, like not saying you can't use this, but saying here are the guidelines for how you can use this for this assessment or how, how you really shouldn't use it for this assessment. Um, but I also think, um, I think that there are some teachers who, uh, maybe planned an assessment or an assignment or a project in October or November that they were going to give in January or February, and they're going to have to rethink that now. And so there's a lot of work that has to go into it. And I think we shouldn't, we shouldn't dismiss that. Um, I, I, I think it's great to recognize that, right. To say like, um, uh, this used to be a really good assessment. This uh, I did this for three years, and and it's and it's great, and it just doesn't count anymore. It's 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 we need to redo it, um, and uh, but I I think that teachers who are engaging, teachers who are able to get students to engage with learning, um, and and classrooms where uh, where the kids have. Um, uh, motivation, um, intrinsic motivation to learn, I think those classes are going to still succeed. I think where you're going to have problems is when the kids just see this assignment as a, a box to check to get a point. Um, if they're just chasing after points, they're going to do the easiest thing possible. And that's, that's why academic dishonesty happens. Wolfgang? Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree, and I th I think that's where I I see the biggest issue, and and looking at our school setups, I think this is where leadership really will have to play a major part, and and especially leadership in curriculum development and design to help teachers with with this, because like you said, I mean, redesigning assessments, assignments, curriculum, full stop, is a hugely time-consuming aspect if done correctly. So it's not just something that can happen. Um, for and, and there will be a number of teachers who, as Greg said, are, are, are quite um, conservative in their approach. There'll be teachers who have not encountered this, despite the the the, the news or media press, um, spotlight. And so I think um, it's it's gonna it's gonna really test schools in terms of their their community and their collaboration and collegiality to see which individuals as you said can can actually embrace this as a positive change and an exciting change in which automatically and straight away go towards the defensive and and try and get schools to block it or um you know rewrite i mean i, I saw a conversation earlier about um rewriting acceptable use policies or digital citizenship policies to to be specifically about ai and and i, I i've got to say i totally disagree with that i think 
our policy should incorporate um, a multitude of different aspects of life and without necessarily speaking on on one particular technology. I think that's that's again like a sort of chasing one's own tail. Um, so so yeah, I think I think looking at how that a good friend gave an example of if I if I talk to you guys about wanting to write something and you you tell me how it's how to write it or what to write and I then just write that down word for word, um, in in effect that isn't probably too different to what the plagiarism aspect would be if I'm using ChatGPT. Um, so we just have to look at. At, at why would a student, as you said, plagiarize in the first place? Why would they go to the trouble of potentially using ChatGPT to alter and modify and continue to make something sound like them when maybe naturally it wouldn't? It shows, it shows an intri intrinsic motivation to, uh, to a different degree, but um, maybe more to, to, to find shortcuts rather than to actually um, grasp the understanding of what they're trying to be learn. Greg, I think to be fair also to the students, I mean, there are a lot of reasons to um, to, to look for extra tools. Mm. Let's call it that. There are a lot of reasons. Some are motivated by, you know, a lack of intrinsic motivation, like you're pointing out. But also, I think Warren was alluding to the idea that um, in, in some ways, for some students, school really is a game that they are trying to win whether it's because of, you know, social pressure or familial pressure or self, you know, pressure they put on themselves to win this game, this game being the accumulation of something, whether it's, you know, a GPA or a university acceptance. I'm thinking especially in the high school where these, these issues really become, you know, um, high stakes. You know, we have a lot of language, second language, English as a second language, um, and learners at our school and uh even before gpt came out they were copying and pasting content from the internet because it sounded a lot better than what they were capable of writing they knew the idea they they recognized that this this pre-written language was better than what they could produce and so they would just sort of submit that um the question is always you know well were they doing it because they were lazy no of course not they they recognized what they ne they needed to do to play this game and this one was helping them play it better uh, than they would be able to otherwise. So it is a bigger, more complicated conversation, I think. But it is, this is the uncomfortable spotlight. The uncomfortable spotlight is, why are we doing this? You know, why is the student doing it? And why are we asking them to do it, right? And this is super uncomfortable for some people. And I think uh, it's a good conversation. The other interesting thing is uh, Zach Cohen, who is a principal, said, thanks to GPT, my faculty is now producing 30 high-quality student reports in under an hour. Over a few days of testing, we discovered the secret to efficient report creation. We're excited to share it with others. Pass this along. Each comment comments needs to be precisely five sentences long. Each comment should follow the glow, grow, glow format, but it should not be bulleted list. It should be formatted as one paragraph. And then he gives a list at the end. Never use platitudes such as good job. Please eliminate any language frivolous to the glow, grow, glow structure. So I think, you know, we were talking about time and where this, and I think this is also, Greg, your point about the spotlight. Many teachers write reports, which are very laborious, and usually reports come out in December, but the learning happened in September. It's like if I go to my bank and I only get to see my statement six months later, it's not much good to me. 
And I think this spotlight of assessment and report card writing, this again is another area that we are going to have to unpack, especially when, as Zach says in his tweet here, that his faculty saved hours and basically got 30 high quality student reports under an hour. That's unheard of if you're writing 20 reports uh, in a Word doc or in a Google doc and then putting it into PowerSchool. So I think uh, your points are really important. Greg, you talked about the digital citizens piece and I think uh, Wolfgang alluded to it. Talk to a bit to, you know, why is that so important as a digital citizen piece? Well, I think the first um, the first thing that comes to mind as a parent and as a as a teacher um, is that my my own son. So I've introduced this to my son at the dinner table and we we messed around with this and and he's in he's in middle school right now. He's just starting MUN, which our school does in middle school. And uh, he has had experience writing um, resolutions in MUN, which are these very formulaic documents. They're they're very tricky for a sixth or seventh grade student to write. And so I showed him, I said, you know, Hey, chat GPT, write me a, an MUN resolution on climate change from the perspective of the United States, which is the country he's representing. And it spit it out and his eyes just went out, you know, went wide. And then he said, um, so, you know, so I don't have to do it. And I was like, but no, but no. So I said, uh, that's not the point. And so we had to have a whole conversation about what it means to to try to fail, to struggle and to, you know, um, to do the work yourself, to do the work of thinking, to do the work of writing. So that part of it is, I think, at the foundation of the conversation I'd want to have with students, just like Wolfgang saying, like, you know, uh, if and, and Warren, you're both saying this and everyone's probably saying it in similar ways. Um, if a student doesn't feel like they need to um, accomplish some task, then they won't. They'll find a, an easier way to do it. So I'd have that conversation first. I'd have the conversation about harmful content. I've seen a lot of um, very clever ways of producing, frankly, you know, just like the human mind. The human mind can produce as horrifying a content as, you know, as it can imagine. And ChatGPT can as well, because it's been trained on all of our text and all of our thinking. So I'd want to have conversations around that, about how um, how to how to keep ourselves and our communities safe for learning. Uh, those are the two big topics I'd probably start with. Excellent, Warren and Wolfgang. What about the report writing and just the idea? You know, often teachers have a lot of productivity tasks that they have to do, which often are more. Uh, kind of process administrative tasks. How do you see the report writing as Zach uh, was uh, highlighting, Warren? Yeah, um, it's pretty funny, right? And I think I think it's 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 really good as um, as kind of a funny tweet. It's a little bit scary to think about it as a reality, right? Because um, uh, obviously the teacher knows the kids really well and has gathered a bunch of evidence. And then the teacher's job is to distill that into a communication to the parents and to the next school. And the parents in the next school really wanna know what this kid uh, knows and is able to do. Um, and we've just traditionally for years now done that through a report card, which is actually kind of a dumb way to do it. Um, and so what's funny to me is instead of, instead of thinking about 
better ways to use technology to communicate this learning. We're thinking about using better ways of using technology to fake it, right? To like to to write a really nice paragraph generically by a computer who doesn't know the kids. I just think that's that's it's funny in a bunch of ways. Um, but you know, uh, it is it's report card writing season right now. Um, and I, I got to say that Grammarly has helped um, teachers. I think the, the quality of report writing now is just it's better than it was five years ago. Um, and uh, but but once I, I think parents are probably going to see it, they're going to they're going to recognize that that their kids report was created by chat GPT. And I think that they're going to want something a little bit better. So I, I, I think hope you're your point's an important one, is we should talk, be talking about learning journals, digital portfolios, project-based learning, and, and those kind of uh, types of assessment than report writing. But it's really what often happens with some technology is we go into substitution. Basically, mm -hmm. we're just using the same methods or the same ways of doing things, and the technology just substitutes it. It either makes it faster or more efficient. But you're really not coming to the crux, as you said, Warren, where we're really thinking, is traditional report writing really a good reflection of a learner's journey as they engage with the different units? So I think that's a really important point you brought up. Thank you. Uh, Wolfgang. Yeah, and but but I mean, you know, even before all of this, uh, I remember using a tool 18 years ago called Report Writer or something, where you basically um, accumulate your own bank of comments, and then you you import a, a CVS a CSV file of the students, and then you just click the gender, and it goes through, and you choose, and at the end you get a nice written paragraph. It saves you a bit of time, and and actually four days ago I had this conversation with a teacher who was writing reports. And he works at a very small independent school in the States. And we were sitting down together because he was saying, well, you know, like they need to be exactly as Warren just said, they need to be personal. They need to show all of this evidence, blah, 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 blah. And, and so whilst he was talking about it uh, and, and showing me one of the reports, I just picked out the, the key phrases that he was writing about. And actually the report that ChatGPT wrote was, to be honest, a lot better than what he wrote. Um, and so, so as much as I agree that our way of communication, uh, communicating about students is, is very outdated and antiquated in terms of the report writing itself, I, I actually think with the restrictions that schools put on how reports need to be written anyway for the, for, for the large part, you know, in, in, in our school, we're quite large school, teachers write between 80 and 100 reports, maybe even more. You, you come to the point where, one, you're repeat, repeating yourself anyway. Two, what you're writing at number 80 versus number one is probably really deteriorated in quality over time. And, and three, if the AI can actually help make it more personal, if we t look at it from the, from the opposite angle, saying it, it makes it more personal because the, the data that you're importing gives it the ability to, to, to tie those, those loose ends together, then at least for the time being, whilst we're still in this in this sort of antiquated way of communicating, we could see much better, higher quality pieces of writing from you know a, a, a larger group of teachers. Greg, thank you, Wolfgang. Yeah, Wolfgang, you're right. It's a it's a super menial task, and anyone who's ever been a, a teacher of a large group of students knows that. <laughs> and also, report card writing is mostly. I mean. Maybe I'm saying something controversial, but report card writing is mostly about parents. It's not really about 
um, student communication because teacher-student communication is done in so many other ways, including, for example, on a project or an essay, um, a, a teacher will write detailed feedback or comments in the, in the margins, either on a first draft or on a final draft. Now, one of the tests I ran immediately once ChatGPT came out was um, I put in a student-generated um, internal assessment from an IB econ class. Um, I put in the IB rubric, and I said, ChatGPT, how would you grade this essay if these are the parameters and this is the rubric? And I got really good feedback. So the difference between GPT and Grammarly is that GPT will play the language game of essay structure and idea um, linking in a way that Grammarly simply can't. Grammarly is sort of limited to the, the sentence level, but GPT will give that feedback um, in a coherent way. So I showed this to a social studies teacher and their mind was blown because one of the, one of the biggest problems, this is a, an actual bottleneck for feedback to students is writing comments on papers or projects. I see this as a massive value add to students. If we, can if we build the tools to explicitly give in the moment feedback on projects and, and papers, this is a game changer. I mean, as a social studies teacher, every social studies teacher in the world knows what it looks like to stare down a stack of papers on their desk and spend you know, a week or two weeks sometimes going through each one and putting comments. And the students, meanwhile, two weeks later are like, yeah, I did that two weeks ago, whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just imagine it's it's instant, right? Now it's instant. Yeah. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And I think that instant feedback and that timely feedback is what really makes it uh, an intrinsic connection to the student because it's something they can react or you know feedback forward on that. So I think your point is yeah. really important. It, it could be a it could be a conversation starter. It wouldn't even need to be as if we're pretending that the teacher wrote the comments. The AI can can be a part of the conversation, essentially a third point of reference. But I think all of you are actually saying that in many ways. You're saying, we've got this powerful tool. It's amazing. How can we leverage it to make our craft even better? What can we do to minimize the things that really bog us down? I love the analogy, Greg, of the stack of papers for the social studies teacher. You know, you know what are the things that teachers do every day that bogs them down, that might be administrative or those kind of things. And then we can free that time up. And now we can really focus on meaningful learning, really deep learning. You know, I think for me, those are the things that really I think school leaders need to start doing is almost do an audit, an audit of the teacher's day. What are the things that are effective and impactful? And what are the things that are just keeping us busy? Because the structures and, and the culture that we've created has this busy work. Wolfgang? Yeah, I, I'd be quite interested. Greg and Warren, have you looked into using ChatGPT for uh, level one help desk, desk tickets yet? Because I'm quite interested to see because I, I, I would imagine that that often is a, is a point of friction is, is the responses or lack of responses that people get with um, simple queries to an IT help desk. And I'm just wondering if either of you have played around with this yet. I have not, but I love that idea. And, I, and, and also, it would make sense that, that it could be just built right into the ticketing system, yeah. right? Like not yeah, not exactly take the ticket and put it into chat GPT, but that when a person puts in a ticket, that there should be an immediate response that just says, hey, humans are working on it. But in the meantime, have you tried turning it off and on again? 
Yeah, that, well, that's think, exactly what I thought because I, I, you well, know, a lot of the responses are actually generic. And I, I, I do think that oftentimes ChatGPT would probably actually catch something that we might overlook at first and solve a lot more problems than, uh, than we think. It's about. interesting. Wolfgang, interesting. Just this morning, I have a friend who has a small business doing tech support. And he mentioned that for his level, yes, some level one support people, he mentioned he was starting to use it to them to generate some, because he does very basic computer and network support. Um, so he said he was doing it. So it is out there. People are doing it, like you say, for help desk tickets. I'll get some more information. Maybe I'll put it in the, put it in the show notes, but he, he is doing it. And here's another example of a mundane task, administrative task that's important, but really should we be answering, oh, you need to restart your computer or whatever it might be. Uh, so I think, again, you know, this idea of really understanding what does the workflow that our educators have to work with that is meaningful and what part could we subcontract out to something like ChatGPT? The whole IT crowd show would not uh, have happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm mindful of time, so... Uh, I would love just to hear from different people as you're, what, what are kind of the, the things that you're excited about, what you see down the road, and what are some maybe uh, reflections, cautions that you want to unpack? Can I just start with Warren, just as we wrap up and maybe some ideas for educators and leaders that are listening to us? Um, yeah, I, I'll say I'm excited about, yeah, what the next versions are going to be, what the next... Um, uh, what the next integrations are going to be. I'm excited to see what search is going to look like in the future. I'm I'm really excited to see what companies end up on top in this whole race. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it intensely and I'm excited about it. The thing that I'm uh, nervous about is I really feel like um, society and the economy are going to be disrupted. I think jobs jobs are going to be changed really quickly um, and I think they're going to change faster than universities can adapt. Um, and so I, I think there's going to be a lot of friction. Um, and, I, and I am a little bit worried that, you know, at, at, at schools, we know that we're preparing kids for a rapidly changing world. And that's sometimes part of our mission. Um, but uh, I don't think any of us were ready for how rapid this change is going to be. And, you know, uh, so I think we, it is important to keep preparing kids for a rapidly changing world. Um, but the, yeah, the careers that are right now considered really solid, really good, high paying jobs might, might not be there uh, when our kids, uh, when our high school kids get out of college. So that is, that is scary. Uh, to me. That, that great point. Thank you, Warren. Greg. Um, I'm excited about the, the, the fact that GPT is, is maybe going to give us access to what I've always thought of as the educational technology holy grail, which is real personalized learning. Um, that's, my, that's my thought, that this is qualitatively different than uh, you know quiz apps on your phone. Um, this is going to be a personalized learning experience that, that is different entirely. And that's what really gets me going. What makes me nervous is that like Warren was pointing out, the, the speed of change makes me feel like we're not quite in control um, in a new way as well. And so what it's 
what it's motivating me to do is try to build new tools. So I think one of the things as educators we're going to need to do is band together. We're going to need to make our voices heard in these in these halls of AI um, capitalism where new products are being built. Um, but we need to be telling uh, these these builders and these developers uh, what's good for education, what's good for students. I think um, without that, I mean, you saw social media kind of explode, a much slower explosion, but, and we were slow to the game in, in responding to that as well. And so I think we need to be a little bit faster. We need to be prepared and more vocal about um, what's good for, for schools. Thank you, Greg. Wolfgang. Yeah, I think um, I'll, I'll start maybe with a, with a little bit of a concern or worry um, off the back of what Greg and Warren, Warren said, and and that um, similar to maybe something like the Bitcoin um, industry, um, the the maybe slightly negative sides of of crowd togetherness and creation when in in essence it's beautiful and, and creative but in in practicality without controls and, and mechanisms to to um uh, build standards and 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 uh and control a control yeah so certain controls i think things can very quickly um get out of control as as greg said and that that worries me with with ChatGPT, where Greg quite rightly pointed out some of the much nastier sides of what it can produce or what people could potentially produce or are producing, similar to to, to our mind and 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 the dark sides mechanism where schools and education uh, institutions have the ability to help, especially students at a younger age, deal with this in a in a safe environment and safe space. What's exciting is I think um, this could potentially be the moment in education that we've been waiting for for a long time where education once again becomes a profession of people who want to be in the classroom and in, in schools. And it may well filter out those who've fallen into the profession through whatever means. I'm not necessarily criticizing um, that particular part of education, but um we could see definitely a change in that. I'm hoping we're, we're going to see a change in that and, and, and that quality will once again reign supreme. Great. Thank you, Wolfgang. Dan, what are your thoughts? Positive I think that, Yeah, that, that's some fantastic thoughts. I, I think I'm a bit more on the side of, I don't think, I think, you know, we're all in moving very techie circles. Uh, all the people on this call work in very tech forward schools where, you know, um, there's an early adoption and early knowledge of a lot of things. I think wider society. I don't think we've. I don't think we're. I, I think people aren't prepared for this this semester of the, of the coming after the after the Christmas holidays when everyone goes back. I think in a month or two, I think it's going to be huge. I think the knowledge now is very. I think if there's a if there's a graph, I think we're at the bottom of the hockey stick where I think it's going to go. I think about like crypto. I've always been very interested in crypto, and there was um. I remember this kind of period with Bitcoin when people started to talk about it. People in my techie circles knew about it. And then there was a period a month later when my mum was calling me about, should she buy Bitcoin? And then you know, <laughs> and that, when that was like a sell. So they go to that point. But, you know, I, I think it's very early. I think like, like Warren said earlier, we've only got some very rudimentary uh, adaptations. You know, we haven't even mentioned Dali and there's a few image uh, open eye and things, but I think there's, you know, with my, when Microsoft incorporated into Bing, there's a load of things we don't even know about. Like, so I think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to be, um, 
the main discussion point in education for, for, for the rest of the year. I think, I think it's going to, th- I think we're just at the start. And, and I think, you know, it's a whole other podcast. I think the disruption to higher education is going to be huge. I think it's already a broken model. Um, but I think that's a much bigger discussion. But I think, I think that's going to be disrupted even, even more than K-12. Thank you. You know, I think for me is when there is such significant change, the pattern from my experience is often school leaders don't give enough time, quality time for people to digest it, to really unpack it and to play around with it. And my hope is that with this exponential change and at such a rapid way that we ensure we create structures where teachers can start really leveraging their professional learning network and time to unpack it so we don't go into historical mode and we start having everybody forced to write essays by paper. So for me, the the big issue is let us give ourselves time. Let us leverage the voices that we have in this community And really, let's make sure teachers have spaces because everybody engages with change in a different way where they can really unpack this and see the advantages and the value added. And I really thank all of you for your perspectives and your insights. Uh, Greg, do you want to talk about the AI and education group? Because I found it really very helpful. And I don't know how open that is, but uh, maybe I'm putting you on the spot. No, no, it's fine. Um, so Warren and Wolfgang and I all recognized pretty quickly that there needed to be a space for this conversation to be had asynchronously. Um, and so we started a, a loose collaborative of mostly technology directors and technology integrators at first, but now it's sort of widening to school administrators, um, teachers of all kinds. Um, basically, we're trying to create what I was what I was mentioning before, which is the collective voice um, that we can we can use to to work through some of these issues and to give each other ideas. And we're calling it the AI and Education Collaborative. We've got a, a digital space where we're we're sharing um, our ideas and uh, and questions. Um, it's open, and I can share it in the in the um, in the show notes as well. If yes, you, if that would be great, Greg. Yeah, if yeah. you could put that in the show notes, I know our uh, listeners would really appreciate that. And I think one thing that you mentioned, I think all of you have really said it, is the voice of educators and education is going to be really important in this space and that we need to be unified. And I think what you have done, Greg Warren and Wolfgang, with that space has been a great first step. Wolfgang and I jumped on a call Uh, Friday with a whole bunch of independent schools in the United States. And it was really very rich. I think, again, you know, let's give ourselves the permission to have the time and space and, and the moments to do this, because the more we get to share and interact and reflect as we are doing today, the better we will be prepared for GPT-5, 6, 7, or 8, or whatever comes down the road. And then also the ethical implications when a company like Microsoft has such a powerful tool. Uh, Their check and balances are very different from a government or uh, an institution that's non-governmental organizations. And, you know, uh, all these tech companies have a lot of power and they're creating these tools that we're becoming dependent on. And that in itself is an ethical conversation that we can have with our students. So Warren, uh, Wolfgang and Greg, thank you so much uh, for your time and expertise. Definitely encourage our listeners to follow them on their social media. 
they uh, always have such wise insights and are doing some amazing work in their respective spaces. So really do take the time to check out their show notes and follow them on social media. We'll be back. This is kind of a special edition. Dan had to run off because uh, his son has ski school and he had to go and pick him up. But uh, to everybody, enjoy ChatGPT and look forward to many conversations. Thank you so much. Thank you.